Jonah chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word of the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. Your Bible may say God repented. Of that disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, holy are you, glorious are you, magnificently wonderful and mercifully kind are you. We come before you this morning and we come, Lord, with humble hearts. And if there are hearts here that are not humble, let them, as Jonah's heart and the people of Nineveh's hearts were humbled, let their hearts be humbled. We pray, God, that you would give us ears, Lord, ears that hearken unto your word, ears that are sensitive, Lord, and not only ears, but feet that are sensitive to obey. Lord, help us, help us to hear and obey. We pray also for revival that mirrors that that we see in Nineveh. We pray for our own city, that men and women, boys and girls, would recognize their sin before holy God and recognize the impending wrath that is before them, and that they too, by your grace and by the power of your Spirit, would turn from their sins. We pray this in our own nation. We pray this in our world, that there would be a massive revival of sinners turning to Christ. Is there anything too big for our God? We say no. And no, not on our own authority and strength, but no, on the authority and strength of God's word, who created the world out of nothing. But by the mere words of his mouth, let there be. Lord, we pray that you would utter again, once again, let there be hearts that turn to you. Let there be hearts that repent of their sins and turn to Christ. I decrease that you may increase. I become less that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning, that you alone would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We are not told of the moment. In Jonah's life, when he opened his eyes, stretched out his hands, and stood on his feet, alive on dry land. After being vomited out of the mouth of the great fish, we're not told of what was going through his head. What was going through his mind as he looked back at the sea, as it were, covered in weeds, covered with the bile of the great fish, realizing that the previous 72 hours of being in the place of the dead, as he described it, Sheol, that that was all over. 
He's out. He's alive. God has spared his life. Jonah was alive. And he had certainly grown more wiser and more sensitive to the call of God on his life and also to the consequences of disobedience. God mercifully preserved this one Hebrew so that he might preserve many Ninevite sinners. God preserved this one Hebrew sinner so that he might in turn preserve many Ninevite sinners. God softened his heart, softened the heart of his man so that this man, his man, is now ready to obey. Verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. In this third chapter, we see this theme of salvation that is all throughout the book of Jonah. Expanding once more as we are introduced to the doctrine of repentance. The doctrine of repentance. Brothers and sisters, repentance Turning from God and turning to or turning from sin and turning to God always accompanies true salvation. When one turns from their sin and turns to God, therein lies true salvation. All throughout the book of Jonah, we've been seeing salvation and the salvation of God. In the first chapter, God saved sailors. As they toss Jonah over the side of the boat in order to turn away the wrath of God. In chapter 2, God saves Jonah from the place of the dead, Sheol, and restores Jonah back to life. And now in this third chapter, we see once again salvation on a grand scale as the word of God comes to the people of Nineveh and they turn from their sins And turn to God. The third chapter of the book of Jonah is all about repentance. And let us be clear. Repentance itself does not save men. Repentance itself does not save men. Let me also say just like grace does not save men. Faith by itself does not save men. God saves men. God saves men. He is the God who gives repentance or grants repentance. He is the God of grace. He is the God of faith. God is the one who saves. Repentance never comes about or never you you are never saved without repentance. Right. And if one repents, then they are truly saved. Repentance always accompanies true salvation. When we think of the public ministry of Jesus, how did he begin his ministry? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if we take Luke chapter 24 as the end of his ministry, then Jesus also ends his ministry with repentance. He begins with repentance and he ends with repentance. In our own reformed history, We have a rich emphasis on man's need to repent of their sins. Thomas Watson, you may have heard of him before, not the not the 19th century Thomas Watson, but the Puritan Thomas Thomas Watson wrote in his book, The Doctrine of Repentance. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is Inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. The third chapter of the book of Jonah is a reflection of this definition. There was visible humiliation in abundance toward the end of this chapter. The people were visibly reformed in this chapter. The people of Nineveh turning away from their sin and turning to a new way of life. The Westminster larger catechism catechism asked this question. What is repentance unto life? What is repentance unto life? And here is the answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace wrought in the heart of the sinner by the spirit and word of God, whereby out of sight and out of sense of only danger of not only danger, but also filthiness and odiousness of sin. 
Not of just a sight and sense of danger, but also the filthiness of sin. And upon the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ, so such that are patient or penitent, he so grieves for and hates his sin that he turns from them all and to God, purposing and endeavoring constantly to walk with him in all the ways of new obedience. What a great summary of what true repentance really is. Repentance is not just moral reformation. It is spiritual regeneration and it is coupled with new life. And this is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. There are are things that we see in this third chapter of the book of Jonah that we find that evidence what the Westminster Shorter Catechism or Larger Catechism just said. True repentance always brings about a new and renewed relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, our holy God will not be reconciled to anyone who does not hate their sin. Our holy God will not be reconciled or reconcile himself to any man or woman, boy or girl, who does not hate their sin and also love God and his word. It is God alone who brings a man to the place where he hates his sin. Only God can do that because naturally we love our sin. Only God can bring a sinner to the place where he hates his sin. Only God can do this. God will not be reconciled to those whose course is an unbroken course or unbroken pattern of down, down, down. Sinners must turn from the path of sin in order to be reconciled to God. Man cannot serve two masters, right? He will either love one or hate the other. He must turn from his old master and turn to God. In the book of Jonah, we see three examples of repentance, and we will look at each of them this morning. Number one, a repentant prophet. Number one, a repentant prophet. Let's read verses one through four. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey. And he called out. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The first aspect of Jonah's repentance is found in verse 1. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. This was the second time in the book. That God's word came to Jonah. He did not deserve for the word of the Lord to come to him the first time. And now God is graciously coming to Jonah once again with his word. And it appears as though Jonah is receiving from God another opportunity for a new beginning. Dear ones, it is solely because we have a God of persistent grace. A God of persistent grace that we are serving him today. It is only because God is persistent in his grace that we are serving him today. When God determines that his elect will be be saved and that they will serve him, then they will serve him and they will be saved. No matter what it cost him and no matter what it cost them. God will have his man. God will have his man. And God does not abandon his plans. God does not abandon his purposes. God will accomplish that which his word is set out to accomplish. And yet, the point of this is not that God is obligated to give us second chances. The point of this, this message coming to Jonah a second time, is not that God is obligated to give us second chances. Let us be clear. God does not always give second chances. He is not, as he has been so often called, the God of a second chance. That may shock you. That may amaze you to hear someone say, a preacher especially, he's the God of a second chance. A God of a second chance to do what? A God of a second chance to do right? Even if we were given infinite chances, we would never do right. 
So a God of a second chance to do what? It is only by the grace and mercy of God that we have been given life. And it is only by the grace and mercy of God that we have been given light or faith to believe in the Son of God who laid down his life for us. But the God of a second chance? Did Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Abraham, who were living sinfully, did they get a second chance? Oh no, they were struck down. Tell that to Sodom and Gomorrah. Were they given a second chance? Tell that to Ananias and Sapphira. They fell dead. Tell that to Judas, who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Did he get a second chance? No. God is not always obligated to give an opportunity for people to repent. When God decides that your time is up, your time is up. And God decides when that time is. So the time for repentance is now. It's not wait for another time. I'll have another chance. It's today. Today is a day of salvation. Don't think you'll have another opportunity. God is not obligated. He is under no obligation. He could strike us dead at birth if he chose. And he would be right in doing so. In this third chapter, the Lord graciously gives his prophet an opportunity to walk in a new path of life, to walk in newness of life. No longer the course of down, 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 but up and obeying the commands of God. After the Lord punished Jonah and and as it were, brings him back from the dead. Then the Lord graciously deals with Jonah, forgiving his sin and once again calls him and restores him to the task of going to Nineveh. Go now. And what will Jonah do? What will Jonah do this time? Will he respond to the call of God? Or will he once again turn his feet and run in the opposite direction? We find Jonah repentant truly. Why? How? Because he obeys the command of God. He obeys the... Repentance is not just a word you say. It's a life that is lived out after the words you say. Uh, the, the, the life that you live out after the words you say are evidence of what's really been done in your heart. That you've truly repented. In this third chapter, Jonah does not run from God, but he runs to God and to the obedience that God has commanded. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. What did he vow? We presume that Jonah vowed obedience. And now he is making good on the opportunity that God has afforded to him. Jonah 3, 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. The Lord comes to Jonah. And he is still concerned with the spiritual condition of Nineveh. Go, Jonah. Walk in new obedience and tell the people a word that I will give you. Jonah does the exact opposite of what we saw him do in chapter one. Instead of running, he obeys. Now, now think about this. Jonah has been vomited out of the mouth of the great fish. He is on the sands of the seashore and he has had time as Psalm 119 verse 59 and 60 say, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Jonah has had time to consider his ways. It is no doubt That Jonah considered his ways while he was in the belly of the great fish. He considered his ways. It is no doubt that while he was on the sands of the seashore, after being vomited out of the mouth of the great fish, looking back and maybe even looking forward to where he needs to go, he's considering his ways. But it is so easy to read through small books like this and miss points like this. And now Jonah walks. And how long does he walk? He walks a three days journey. And what do you think went through the mind of Jonah as he walked? Let me ask you the question. Have you ever been very upset or very disappointed? And you just had to walk. Or you just had to drive. You just had to ride a bike or run or go somewhere so that you can think. How many thoughts ran through your mind when you walked, when you drove, when you ran or when you let out steam, as it were, and you had the chance to consider your ways? 
Can you remember the, the weight of heavy thoughts that laid upon your mind? Sometimes you, you drive so far, you walk so far, you forget where you are or even how you got there. Because so much was on your mind. So much weighed on your mind. Consumed so much were you. Jonah walks. And he walks three days. And he has three days to once again consider his ways. We've all had those moments. And let me say to you, those are moments afforded to you by God. Sometimes when you drove those drives, or when you walked that walk, or when you ran that run, you realize, I haven't had this too much time to think about things in a long time. Things just be, seem to be going past me so quick, so fast. And now I'm alone here with my thoughts. There could be a world going and passing right by you, but it's just you and your own mind. Jonah has time to consider his ways. To consider his sin before he began to turn and follow the commands of God. And those are blessings to be able to reflect on where you messed up, on the mistakes that you've made, and to say, God, help me not to do that again. You remember walking. Why did I do that? If I only would not have gone here and not done this, and this would have, Lord, keep me from that again. Psalm 119.60, I hasten and did not delay to keep your commands. What does Jonah do? Verse 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah hastens to obey. Jonah runs to obey. Jonah does not shuffle his feet. Jonah does not drag his feet into the path of obedience. Jonah runs to obedience. He's, he does not warm up to the idea of obedience. Like some of our young children may do when you call them to come. and They don't want to come. Head down and they move their feet Inch by inch. Jonah doesn't do that. Jonah runs to obedience. And obedience is what marks the course of Jonah. But it's not that Jonah has been perfectly made complete. Can I say that again? It's not that Jonah is completely sanctified in his heart. He runs to obedience, yes. But Jonah still has areas in his life that are completely unsanctified. The heart of true obedience or true repentance is eager to obey. Repentance is not something that you decide to do over a period of time. You know, you don't sit and think, well, what are the risks of, of, repent, of repentance? What are the rewards of repentance? No, when God changes your heart, you repent. It's something you do at the moment that you are called. Today, again, is the day of salvation. It's earnest. It's now. It, it does not delay at your convenience. God, you take your time. God calls. When you're ready, I know there's a lot of things going on in your life, but I'm here when you're ready. Not so. When God calls you, come. My father had that kind of voice. That when you call, he called you, you came. After Jonah is vomited out of the mouth of the great fish, the Lord does not consider Jonah's condition and then give him a command. What is Jonah covered in? He's covered in, uh, in the ins of the insides of a great fish. And you can imagine what the insides of a great fish look like. And not only that, but he's covered in seaweed, as he says in chapter 2. He's covered in bio. He's covered in, in the insides of a great fish. And God doesn't say, go home to the northern kingdom, take a shower, get your bearings together, and then go to Nineveh. He's vomited. Go to Nineveh. And Jonah walks three days in filth. And he's reminded as he walks. Can you smell yourself sometimes? Some of you should practice that. You would show that you love your neighbors if you do that. Jonah walks. And as he walks, even his own scent is a reminder of his disobedience and to a place that he never wants to go back to. Earlier, Jonah did not delay in his disobedience, and now Jonah does not delay in his obedience. He gets to work. And this is nothing less than the work of God, softening the hearts of sinners. Jonah's repentance leads, is a resolved repentance. He's resolved to obey God, because God has wrought obedience in his heart. That's the only way he can. 
The only way that he can resolve to obey is because God has wrought obedience in his heart. God does this. And again, Jonah is still an imperfect man. Flaws in his thinking. He's undergone a salvation experience, but he has not come out of the fish wholly sanctified. And we'll see this clearly, more clearly in chapter 4. Jonah's repentance was not that of a perfect man. And neither is ours. We, like Jonah, to put it in the words of Paul, we have not yet arrived. We have not yet been made perfect. We've not obtained that which we have striving so hardly for. We're still in process. Jonah is yet seeking to put off sin and to put on Christ. Jonah still has reservations that we'll discover in chapter 4. But, but he doesn't wait for his heart to catch up to his reservations or his reservations to catch up to his heart. Does that make sense? He doesn't wait for his reservations, the things that are bothering him still in his heart. He doesn't wait for those things to catch up to his heart. He goes. He goes and obeys. And Jonah was not prepared to be the evangelist, the evangelist to the, to the Ninevites. He could care less about them. He had no true sympathy for them, for their sin and for their impending wrath of God that they would face. He did not share the compassion of Christ, if you will, who would have gathered all of Jerusalem as a mother hen gathers her chicks. He didn't have that in his heart. Jonah would have never prayed for the Ninevites. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It wasn't in him. He had no desire for that. And is it possible to be truly repentant if you still have sin in your heart? If you still have wrong beliefs in your heart, is it, is it possible to still be repentant? Yes. Must you be perfectly sanctified in order to walk in new obedience? Not at all. Were you perfectly sanctified when you were brought to Christ? But yet you were still saved. And yet you are still in the process of, of God removing wrong thoughts from your hearts. Right? And you will never yet be made perfect until you are standing before him on that great day of glory. Yes, Jonah still has wrong thinking in his mind, wrong thinking in his heart. But Jonah's obedience, his resolve, it cuts through all of those reservations. And unsanctified elements of Jonah's heart don't stop him from obedience. And neither do they stop you. Well, you're here today, aren't you? There are still reservations in your own mind. There are still wrong thinkings in your own mind. And yet... You've obeyed the command to not forsake the assembling of the saints. Not yet made perfect. But definitely heading that way. We don't wait to be perfect. You don't wait to be perfect in order to resolve to obey. If you think, and like many of our unsaved people that we know say, I, I, I need to get some things right before I come to church. No. Wrong thinking. If you wait to get things right in your heart before you start coming, you'll never come. If you wait for things to get right in your hearts and in your minds to get going, you'll never get going. We never are completely sanctified until we reach glory. And if Jonah had allowed his feelings in his heart and in his mind to dictate his obedience, then verse 3 would not say Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, it would say Jonah ran again. And this is not to say... That we have the ability on our own to do so. It is God who rots obedience in our hearts. We're not Pelagians. We're not Arminians. But there is an element in which God has allowed Jonah. Through his own work in his heart. The freedom to resolve to obey the commands of God. And this is brought by God. Truly those who are regenerated. Have been given freedom to obey. And your obedience is a product of God's work in your heart. To obey. To obey. Jonah goes. And he doesn't modify the call of God. He does exactly what God tells him to do. Verse 3. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah delivers the message of God. And for this most wicked city. The most wicked city of the day. You, you may think about cities in our world and think that's a really vile and, and wicked place. Nineveh was that kind of place. It was the most wicked city of the day. And surely it was a difficult task. 
It would be like walking into, if you will, Iraq and proclaiming that God's wrath is coming. Jonah had no guarantee that he would leave Nineveh with his life. Think about that. He goes into Nineveh and we can read through this passage and read past it. Okay, Jonah said something. Did you know where he was? He was in Nineveh, Sodom of that day. And do you remember what, what happened to Abraham and to the, even an angel when they went into to Sodom? Jonah goes into the Sodom of that day with no guarantee that he would leave with his life. And he proclaims the message of God. He could have been killed, derided in prison, laughed out of town. And yet he goes and does the hard thing. That's what repentance does. That's what a person who is truly repentant does. They do the hard thing. Why? Because God said so. Because God said so. They don't consider their own lives. They consider the glory of God. This is what God has commanded. I don't like it, but it brings him glory. Therefore, I'll do it. That's a person who's truly been repentant. Who's truly been repentant. Now, what of the city? Number two, a repentant city. Verse verse four, actually verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word of the Lord, the the, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not eat or feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, the king says. God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They repent. How is it possible? This city, and we'll say this again, the city is, is, is historically believed to be over hundreds, maybe two, three hundred thousand people. And the Bible makes it clear that this city, the people of Nineveh, repent. How is it possible Did they muster up within themselves the own ability to see their offense against God? Did they act autonomously, apart from God, to decide to repent on their own? No. What did Jonah say in Jonah chapter 2? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Similar to Jonah's uh, uh, repentance, the repentance of Nineveh was brought about. Why? How? Yes, about by, by God. But what was the thing that sparked the repentance? What was the word spoken that made them say we must turn from our sins? It was just like what Jonah experienced. The wrath of God. Jonah says, 40 days and you will be destroyed. Jonah began to walk in newness of life. How? When he came face to face with the wrath of God. The message that was given to the people is this. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed or overthrown. That's the message. What was he proclaiming? Jonah was proclaiming the just wrath of almighty God against a disobedient people. So repentance comes out of, as the Westminster says, out of a sight and sense of danger. Danger is ahead of you and also filth of sin. But primarily danger. Danger is the main component of their their awareness that they need to turn from their sins. Real danger. If you persist in this path, you will die and you will face God. Jonah knew this message all too well, didn't he? Jonah was a walking example of this message. Smell me. This is the wrath of God. This is the wrath of God. He learned it in the belly of the great fish. And now he's proclaiming. To a people that he ran from. He's proclaiming to a people that he now realizes that he is more like than he realized. That he is just as disobedient as they are. And now he's proclaiming to them the message of God. He resisted coming to this people. Who did not acknowledge God. And the Lord taught Jonah. In his unique classroom. In the belly of the great fish. 
that Jonah, you are not so different from these wicked people either. You look down on them. You despise them because of their sin. Jonah, what makes you think you're any better than them? And I'll teach you that in this belly. We must be careful not to look upon w- wicked sinners as if we were any better than they were. As, as if we were any better than they are. No, we need to look at them with pity. We were them. Before someone came and offered us bread in Christ, we were them. We see some of the things, the protest on TV right now. And we look upon it, and we should look upon those people with pity. Don't back necessarily because of patriotism. Look at them and say, you need God. Not you need to bow to our president. Forget it. Salvation will not come through Air Force One. Salvation will not come by the means of Air Force One. Salvation comes through Christ. And those who are walking in sin, who are destroying and vandalizing things because of what's going on in our nation, they need Christ. They don't need a new president. They need Christ. So pray for them. Yes, it is despicable. Yes, it is appalling. And that's what sin looks like. And that's what we were and who we were before Christ came and graciously gave us life. Pray. Pray for them. Repentance is turning from your path because there is great danger that lies ahead of you. You and I should fear the consequence of sin. You and I should fear the consequence of sin. And what sin can do to you if you persist in it? We should fear that. Listen, it's good to fear sin and death. It's good to fear sin and the death that it produces. It's good. Death is undesirable. Death is not a desire. It's a hateful thing. It's a product of the fall. Death is not beautiful. We don't love death. We don't glorify death. If we glorify death so much, then why did, why did Jesus not stay dead? He rose to life to show you this is where victory is. Not in death, but in life. If Christ stayed dead, we would still be dead in our sins. Do you hear that? Don't glorify death. We should not pretend that we're looking forward to death. You're not looking forward to death. You're looking forward to seeing Christ, but the means of it is not glorious. It's a hateful thing. Death is the curse of sin. And yes, since uh, uh, death sting has been taken away by Christ, but the reality of it is still not to be adored. I recently met a woman as I was doing one of our jobs, as we always do, who was in her 80s. Her husband had passed away. Her son had passed away. Her daughter is out living out of town and her outlook on life is that it is completely meaningless. She said, I just want to die. She she exclaimed it over and over again. I've never I've never been around an older person who said so many times, I just want to die. And I looked at her and she's able to walk. I looked at her in her 80s and she has a clear mind. She's. Clearly speaking, there are no diseases in her mind as of yet. She knows where she is, what year it is, what time it is. She eats on her own. And I'm looking at her and saying, you're wasting the days that God has graciously given you left. And you're wasting it saying, I just want to die. What a shame. Don't buy the false lie that when you're older, You are no longer useful for anything. Not so. As long as you still have breath in your body, God is still able to use you. Don't waste your life. Death is hateful. Death is what brought Jonah before the people of Nineveh. And the message of death is what shakes them to their core. You are going to die. Repentance is not invalid because it it was brought about by fear of death. Does that make sense? You get that? When someone says, I became scared deathly of, of, of God and his wrath. That does not mean that your salvation is invalid. That is perfectly valid. 
God's wrath motivates our repentance. People say that the old message, they, those are old messages. Hell, fire, and brimstone. That's not the way to call people to Christ. Why not? Why not? Is it not what we will face if we choose to reject the perfect work of Christ? Be afraid you should call out on the street corners. God's wrath is upon you. Hell, fire, brimstone. They'll look at you like you're crazy. And sometimes we look at those who hold signs up like they're crazy, but maybe we're the ones who who are crazy for not doing what they're crazy enough to do. Maybe we should be the ones standing on the street corners. We believe the message, don't we? That if you don't repent of your sins, then you will face the wrath of God. Not a fun message, I know. Not going to draw in thousands, we know. But if you do not turn from your sins, what awaits you? God's wrath. Hell. Separation from God eternally. It's not wrong that you say, I don't want to face that. And you say like those in Acts chapter 2, what must I do? Repent, Peter says, and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Be afraid. Fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. It is meant to turn you away from death and turn you to Christ. Never popular, but always necessary. Never popular, but always relevant. Always. Offensive message, yes. That's exactly what Jonah takes to the people of Nineveh. Can you imagine? Jonah walking through the streets of Nineveh, this smelly man, fresh out of the belly of a fish, crying out to these wicked people, God's wrath is coming in 40 days. Verse 5. Now, instead instead of Jonah being ran out of town, something unexpected happens. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. (laughs) they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They received the message of God as being the message from God. They received this message and repentance begins to, to, to frame their lives. When God, by his grace, gives you the faith to believe what God says, repentance is born. They believe it's shocking The natural response to the message of wrath is not what is present here. Why? Because God is sovereignly working on the hearts of these people to produce repentance and faith. God is working on their hearts. This was one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world. A revival that would have caused George Whitfield to to be wholly jealous, I imagine. Can you imagine? Thousands of people. Turning to God. Would we not like to see that? Would we not love to see thousands of people turning from their sin and turning to God? Jonah proclaims wrath and they believe in response. All of the people of Nineveh? All of those hundreds of thousands of people of Nineveh? Come on. Seriously. All of the people? Ask yourself, is anything too hard for God? God created the world out of nothing. Causing a whole city to be saved is nothing for God. It's potatoes for God. Peanuts for God. They believed. They believed. Let's go to verse 6 and 9. The word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from the throne. His throne. Removed his robe. Covered himself with sackcloth. And sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone who let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may relent, turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When we read the passage in verses 4 through 9 or 5 through 9, what in this message leads the people of Nineveh? This is a question you should write down if you're taking notes. What in this passage 
leads the people of Nineveh to hope in God. What makes them hope in God? Are the Ninevites only turning from sin or are they really turning to God? Does that make sense? So are are they just saying, let's turn away from our sin, but without turning to God? In what sense do they perceive the second aspect of repentance, which is not just turning from sin, but also turning to God? The king prays, verse 9, who knows? God may relent, turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king of Nineveh has a hope that God will turn away his wrath. But what was it about Jonah's message that plants a seed of hope in God? Are are we following? You tracking with me? What is it about Jonah's message that plants a seed of hope in God? If someone comes and says, 40 days and you're destroyed, where's grace in that? Where's hope in that? 40 days and you're done. We may be able to see it in this third chapter. Perhaps grace and hope is seen in the message itself. Verse 4, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Where's the grace? How many days till Nineveh is destroyed? 40. So you're telling me I still have time. Are you with me? This does seem to be a manifestation of the long suffering of God, because God could say, Jonah, tell him time's up. You're dead. But instead, God tells Jonah, Jonah, go to them and say, you've got 40 days. There's hope. Here's another manifestation of the grace of God. Did God need to send Jonah? To warn? He doesn't. But does he? Yes, he does. God sends Jonah as a a means of grace to bring to the people of Nineveh God's word. He sends a warning ahead of them. God could have just wiped them out with no warning and God would have been justified. But instead, God sends a warning. God sends a warning and tells them, and you've got 40 days. Thank God for his grace. All of these are signs of the mercy of God. But we must also ask, how do the events in chapter 2 play a part in Jonah's ministry in Nineveh? So how does what happened in Jonah Jonah chapter 2, this this being eaten, swallowed by the belly of the fish, how does that play a part in Jonah's ministry? We're not told that in chapter 3, that Jonah was telling anybody Anything that happened to him in chapter 2. He didn't come and say, hey guys, listen, I just came out of a fish. I've got some things to say. We're not not told that. So are the words that Jonah speaks the only words that we find in verse 4? Are those the only words? So is Jonah's message and all that he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Is that all he has to say? And is that all God uses to bring the people to himself? Now... It could be, but I think we have indication that there was more. Let's go to Matthew. Let's do this actually together. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is going to give us more information. And I'm going to move a little slow, but I want you to understand completely what's being said, which is why I'm going to move a little bit slow. Let's read this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41. Then the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, here's some questions for you. In what sense is Jonah a sign that the Pharisees were already expected to understand that Jonah was a sign of? I'll say that again. 
In what sense was Jonah or is Jonah a sign that the Pharisees were already expected to understand that Jonah was a sign of? Is Jesus saying just, hey, there's going to be Jonah just like Jonah was buried. I'll also be buried. And yeah, three days. But is that the only sign? Is that all Jesus is saying? No, he's not. The sign of Jonah was the sign was that Jonah would be three days and three nights in the the belly of the great fish, right? That is the sign. Is the sign that the Pharisees should have discerned or recognized or seen also a sign made clear to the Ninevites. Now, is Jesus also saying, here's a clear sign right in front of you, just like Jonah was a clear sign right in front of them? Matthew 12, 41. Follow with me. And if you have any questions afterwards, please talk to me. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Did Jesus intend for us to understand that Jonah, the sign of Jonah, was part of the preaching of Jonah. That the sign of Jonah was also part of the preaching of Jonah. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? Why bring up repentance of the Ninevites into this discussion with the Pharisees? If the sign of Jonah being three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish had nothing to do with the events in Nineveh. The sign of Jonah was somehow something that was declared as hope to the people. So we're looking for hope, right? We're looking for some kind of grace here. And Jonah is a sign of that. And Jesus is saying, just like Jonah was a sign, so I am also a sign. But it's more than just the three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. What What do you mean? Jonah was three days and three nights. And then he stood before the people of Nineveh as a sign. Of life coming out of death. Of mercy that prevails and overwhelms death itself. Remember, the book of Jonah is a prophecy, right? But it's a prophecy in the sense that the events of the book of Jonah are a sign. Not necessarily the words. Is Jonah necessarily prophesying through the book of Jonah? Do you see what you see in Jonah as you see in the book of Isaiah? No. So then how and and how is the book of Jonah a a prophecy? Jonah's life is a prophecy. And it's pointing again to Christ. Jonah showing up, not cleaned up, but straight from the tomb, as it were. As a sign of the mercy of God upon repentant sinners. Are you with me? Luke 11. Jesus has more to say. Luke 11, verse 29. And 30. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, crowds are gathering. And here's what he says. This generation is an evil generation. Who also was an evil generation? Nineveh. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be, will, will, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. This wicked generation. So was Nineveh. You want a sign? You'll receive no sign. Here's the sign you'll receive the sign of Jonah. Jonah showed up in Nineveh as a evident sign. Jonah being in Nineveh was a sign itself. A sign of what? Jesus doesn't tell them what the sign was, does he? That Jonah, the sign of Jonah, three days and three nights, it's not mentioned here in in Luke. Instead, Jesus is assuming that they already know what that sign is. Everyone knows that Jonah is a sign of what? God's mercy and deliverance from death. Jonah is a walking sign, if you will. Jonah is a walking sign, if you will. Luke chapter 11, 29. Who is this sign for? Is it only for the Israelites looking back at this sign? 
or is a sign of Nineveh, of Nineveh or is the or is this also a sign for the Ninevites when Jonah arrives? So is it only for the Israelites of that day? No. It was also for the people of Nineveh in Jonah's day. Now, slow down, okay? What are they, what are they seeing? Verse 30. For Jonah will become a sign to the people of Nineveh. For Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be a sign to this generation. Jesus will be... The consummate sign of God's mercy and deliverance from death and resurrection after life. Of dying to sin and rising to new life. That's the sign. Just like Jonah was that sign that he was dead and now he's alive. So I stand before you. I will be dead and I will also come to life. Here I am. The fulfillment of Jonah. Now, Jesus is the final sign. Right? Jonah was also a sign to the Ninevites. Of life following death. And Jonah didn't even realize this. Jonah didn't even realize that he was being used by God. So that he could be referred to some 800 years or so later by Christ. And that is what this means. Or this is what that meant. God did that with his prophets. Remember Hosea? What did he tell Hosea to do? Go marry a prostitute. Do you think Hosea enjoyed that? No. But Joan, but Hosea was going to, his life was going to be a sign for Israel. God does that. Or God did that. Nineveh was repenting. But what were they repenting at hearing? I submit to you they were repenting at hearing the gospel. That they were repenting at hearing the gospel. What do you mean? They didn't hear the gospel. They heard the gospel under types and shadows. They heard the gospel under types and shadows. The prophet had been under the wrath of God. He was buried and he was also resurrected. And he is coming. He came with the present message that was just like Christ. The wrath of God consumed by God's man. Through death and that God would raise up his man again to life so that people could be saved. That's what they repented to. That's what they believed. He was a walking witness of the power of God. And God's power to overcome sin and death. Jonah embodies the gospel. Jonah's life embodies the gospel. So when we ask where did the Ninevites get a sense of God's mercy... Just look at Jonah. God's man was among them. There was a delay in the wrath of God. He overcomes death by God's grace, brings life. And the message is given to in the person of Jonah and his life. Was it true repentance or was it just a wave? Something you see at a Benny Hinn weird thing. Everybody just falls because everyone else is falling. And if you've been there before, say, no, I, I really meant I didn't mean to fall. Then we'll talk about you later. Jesus indicates this is Jesus indicates this is the real thing in Matthew chapter 12, 41. What does Jesus say? The men of Nineveh will rise up when at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. When will the people of Nineveh, the men of Nineveh, if you will, when will they be used to condemn unbelievers? In glory. In heaven. At the consummation of all things, they will be used by God to point at unbelievers to say we were wicked. We didn't even have what you have. We only have the gospel in types and shadows. You have the real thing and yet you refuse to believe. Oh, they will wag their heads. They will shake their heads. If Jonah was able to be to to present the gospel in types and shadows, how much more the antitype, the son of God crucified and raised, how much should he more lead you to repentance and life? Oh, they will condemn. Nineveh responds under a shadow of the gospel. We have the actual substance. And that's the argument of Jesus. They repented. I'm here. What's wrong with you? This is the work of God. This is a work of God. Jesus, in effect, is saying, are you going to let the pagan sinners repent 
at the word of a failing, disobedient prophet and then condemn you because of your failure to repent at the preaching of the perfect, unfailing prophet, crucified and raised, you will have no excuse. We have the final fulfillment of what Jonah was meant to be. Verse 8 of Jonah. But let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. You see that? Call out. Turn from your sin and turn to God. It's an act of repentance. And verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent or turn and repent. And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king sees that God has every right to condemn them. And it is no gimmick to turn away the wrath of God. They've decided to die to themselves and turn to newness of life. And this is all a work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the hearts of sinners. Third and finally, a repentant God, that's a question mark. A repentant God, question mark. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented or God repented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. I say repented because if you have the King James Version, it does say repented. And hopefully none of you have the King James Version in this church. What does mean? What is what is meant by that? I will say first, God is using anthropomorphic language. What is that? It's a way that God communicates to men so that men can understand what God is saying. But not in the sense that men communicate one to another and mean things one to another. Not always. God, in that sense, is babbling to babies. So that we may somehow understand him. But that does not mean that God repents in the same way that human beings, you and I, repent. In the context, and we're done here. It means that God turns away his just wrath from people. These people. That God, who can justly bring his wrath, may, in his grace, will not to bring forth his wrath toward us. God is turning away the threat of his righteous righteous wrath. So the question is, is God changing then when he does this? Is God changing? The simple answer is no. And I can see some of your heads shaking. No, no, of course not. God is not changing. God does not change. Glory be to God. He's not changed. So then how do you understand this verse? Because if someone is naturally reading it, they're going to say it sounds like and it looks like God is changing. What God is changing is the demonstration of his wrath. But in a certain sense, in turning away his wrath, he is remaining unchangeably true to himself. And to his word. He's changing the demonstration of his wrath. But in another sense, he is also remaining completely true to himself and to his word. So the change that God, the change of God is not that God changes, but that God brings about a change in the demonstration of his wrath. And he gives it its place as a demonstration of his mercy. Of his mercy. Which he has promised that he will perform to those who turn from their sins. Listen real quick and you can write this down. Ezekiel 18, 27 through 28. Again, when a wicked person turns from their wickedness, he has committed and does what is just and right. He shall save his life because he has considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he has committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. This is the work of God. God works on the hearts of men. And rather than giving them wrath, God gives them grace. And God hasn't changed. He is doing exactly what he promised to do for those who repent. And yes, that repentance is brought about by God. The threat of wrath is conditional. The threat of wrath allows an opportunity of turning back. And it is God who works in you to turn back. There is a sense in which God, while God manifests his wrath on the unrepentant, has already told us, That he will turn from his wrath if they repent. It is not that God is changing. By turning away his wrath, he is being unchangeably true to his character. 
to his mercy that he has chosen to display. Here's, here's some other verses for you. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8. Same principles. The demonstration of his wrath. God does not change. What changes is the way that he deals with men as he graciously works in their hearts. If men will turn away from their sin, God will turn away his demonstration of wrath that he has promised to all who pursue sin. And he will show them his unchangeable display of mercy. Does that make sense? We're beginning. We're going to get into Malachi in two weeks and you're going to see this again. I, the Lord, do not change. The relenting of God is not a change in God. A change in the manifestation of his wrath that he had promised he already would do for those who turn from sin. Think of it this way. If God did not relent when they repented, then God would be changing. Then he would be a changing God because he would be untrue to his word who promises that he will turn his wrath away from those who turn from their sin. He would be untrue to his character. But yet he remains true to his character. As he says in Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. And you know what he says after that? Therefore, you children of Jacob, you're not consumed. It's because I don't change that you're not dead. <laughs> Take that. If I was a changing God, you would be dead. If I was a God who went through waves of emotions, who felt mad today and happy tomorrow, then you should fear for your life. Because you don't know what to expect from God. Bless God that he does not change. Bless God that he remains the same. Bless God that he doesn't need to repent like men. Or that he doesn't think better or come up with better plans. That he remains true to his word. And it is perfect from beginning to end. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. And this is not legal. It's merciful. A merciful manifestation of the grace of God. He is rich in mercy, full of compassion. And he works on the hearts of those whom he calls to himself. God is gracious. We should worship our God that he does not change, that he doesn't again go through ups and downs, emotional changes. He does not burn with anger one day and feel tickly with butterflies and love the next day. Thank God he's not like you and me. Right? He's the same yesterday, today and forevermore. This is our God. This is our king. He brings about repentance and he turns away his wrath. And this is cheaply displayed at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he died and rose again, being the greater Jonah. And he calls all men who have been given ears to hear to repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Have you done that? If not, hellfire brimstone is coming. But if you have, then you have a promise in Christ of eternal life, joy and peace in the glory of God where there is no darkness. Let's stand.